Please stay in John chapter 12, and our focus is verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. What is the attraction in Christianity? What is the attraction that a church has or should have? The attraction of the crucified, risen, coming again Christ. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we want to prepare our hearts by focusing upon this word where Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon our minds and hearts that we would hear the word of the Lord. We bless you and we praise you, Father, for the gift of your Son. Jesus, for your willingly coming. Holy Spirit, for bringing it home to our hearts. Breathing out the word of God. Quickening that word to every believing heart. And we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a time when the cross is not enough. When the cross is not the attraction. And I get a lot of emails and things in the mail at various times of the year trying to uh, encourage me and other people all over the nation get it of how to successfully do church and especially on the big days there are two big days in the church's calendar and we're coming up to one this time in the second week of April So I'm going to read a couple letters. I'll read portions. And the first one is, uh, you may not know that this is common, but it is common. Easter weekend can be a huge weekend for your church. This is a chance to generate momentum and grow your church. But... There are also costly mistakes that I see churches make every Easter. Now, we want to make a big splash in the community, right? And so we spend lots of money, billboards, mailers, door hangers, yard signs. All of this stuff is real expensive. I have developed a system that allows churches to generate impact for Easter, and I'll save you a lot of money. Now, don't spend too little, but in my free training, I'll show you how to leverage free and cheap strategies to generate big results. The point is, you can't just do nothing. 
You have to invest something if you want to get a result. Now, one of the big mistakes I see churches making is putting all of the re- their resources onto one big day only. Easter Sunday is a huge opportunity to promote the next week. Make sure you share some of your Easter budget and energy with the next week's series and promotion. The NFL, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and Jimmy Fallon are all masters at promoting their next big thing. And all across America, churches are encouraged to promote big things and the next big thing. Because that's the attraction. If you want momentum, you have to invest in the weeks following. Now, the second is from a pastor. Who, and, and I don't, I saved this from a long time ago, and I don't know who he was or where he was. But he'd been on this track, and he's telling about it and telling how he got off of it. Our church doesn't participate in Easter insanity anymore. Churches spend weeks of time and buckets of money for Easter Sunday services. Flyers go out into the neighborhood. Uh, Ads are run into the local paper. Extravagant musicals, extra service times, passion plays, uh, special gifts given to first-time attenders, Uh, And he asked a question. He said, what is it that makes churches act like Walmart shoppers on Black Friday fighting each other over one-time Easter guests? And that's exactly what happens. This is especially insane when you look at the typical results of all this extra work. The week after Easter, what do most churches see? the same people who were sitting in church before Easter Sunday. I still remember I was on a newsletter list of a church out in Oklahoma, a big church, and they made the papers uh, in, in Christian circles all over the nation because in one week they had 1,500 baptisms. One week. And the next week after baptizing 1,500 people, they had less people at church the following Sunday than they had before the baptizing of 1,500. So this guy says, our church opted out of Eastern Sanity several years ago, and it happened after I placed an ad in the local paper. I was quite proud of the graphic design we put into it, But when I found out that our ad in the paper was right next to the ad from one of the largest churches, one of our churches took a page to tell the community what they were doing on Easter Sunday, and they had a special giveaway. Every first-time guest would get a free iPod mini. Not just an iPod for the lucky drawer. If you draw this number, you get an iPod. Every first-time offender, attender, not offender, 
<laughs> yeah, right. More truth was spoken than I realized. It was a large church with a massive budget. They would have hundreds of guests, and it would cost them tens of thousands of dollars. I closed the newspaper and said, well, whatever our church does can't measure up to that. We used to have a big bus ministry here back in the 70s. And there was another church in town that had a bus ministry. And we were in competition. And we'd go out on Saturdays, and whoever promised the most on Saturday had the fullest buses on Sunday. And whatever you win them with is what you keep them with. So he said, we won't try. But what shall we do? And this pastor started really walking with the Lord, I believe, because he said, we decided as a church family to focus on seeking to give every member and every guest a joyous, a joyous experience with the risen Christ in the company of loving people. And we do the same thing the following Sunday, and the following Sunday, and the following Sunday. Seeking to be a people that when we gathered, we wanted to have a joyous experience with the risen Christ among people with whom we were sharing the love of Christ. And so he said, give your congregation and guests a taste of what a church looks like when the people in it are passionately in love with the resurrected Christ and care deeply for each other. Let them see what worshiping Jesus is like every week. Let your guests see Jesus. Wow. Hallelujah. That should be our passion every week. And so I want to call your attention again to this week's newsletter. By the way, you know, I don't preach up here every Sunday. We have elders and we, we have different ones that preach and, and I get to receive messages as well as to give them. But in 47 years, I probably have not missed a week without preaching a message to this congregation. It's a written sermon. And I'm not exalting me. I'm just, hey, if it's the word of God, take it, receive it, be blessed by it. Don't minimize what God wants to give you and I as a body of believers through Sunday school teachers, through various pastors, through newsletters, it's uniquely for this congregation and uniquely calling us to the ministry that God has for us. I oftentimes get words of encouragement from people like John McKay in Australia or a deacon down in uh, Franklin, Tennessee or other places. At one time, there was a youth pastor who cataloged 
every newsletter by subject and would often use them in teaching situations or in counseling situations. I'm not trying to exalt me. I want to exalt God's word because the purpose of all of this is to build us up in the faith and to say, the only attraction we have is Jesus and his word. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And of course, this is the central issue. We had a sin debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And as glorious as the resurrection is, and, and in a few weeks there'll be people who will uh, put out on social media the, the, the greatest moment in all Christian history, the greatest event of all Christian history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a great event. But that's not what the Apostle Paul said. He did not say, God forbid that I glory save in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There would be no resurrection if Jesus had not propitiated, satisfied the wrath of God on Calvary. If he had not been able to say, it is finished. And so we come to the Lord's table and the resurrection is included. The second coming is included. But he says, do this in remembrance of me. My body was broken. My blood was shed. The pivotal, most important event in all of history, in all of eternity, is when Jesus paid our sin debt. the attraction of the cross. If the cross does not have my heart, if I don't have a, a vision of being attracted to being faithful to the church of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did at Calvary, it doesn't matter what kind of dog and pony show we offer here, if that's what's drawing you. And you know what one of the problems is? We have this idea that children have to be entertained. I'm not against having fun doing this, that, or the other. Children are adults. But the church of Jesus Christ is not about who has the biggest entertainment program. And there have been many families over the years who have left this congregation because they wanted to go to a bigger congregation that had a lot of bells and whistles and toys and games and, and, and you name it, for the children. No matter whether there's a gospel there or not. And God has given you parents the high and holy calling of taking what you here and taking what you read and instructing your children in the ways of the Lord and demonstrating that it's a wonderful thing when the cross of Jesus Christ is the only attraction.
If Christianity was man-made, the chief selling point would be miracles. We'd have a sign out front, come see Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead, or a sign out front that said, the man that Jesus delivered from demons will be with us Sunday. Come and hear him. Or in the modern world, famous Christian comedian speaking Sunday. The Bill Gaither Trio will be here Sunday. Elvis Presley's brother-in-law will be here Sunday. I'm just, these are things that churches have used. Easter eggs. Singing Christmas tree. People flock to all of this. Because they love entertainment. The way of the cross seems too narrow. We, we don't understand the uh, attraction of it. And I made the copy of a page, which apparently I left at home. Uh, Alan Redpath, in his commentary on, on uh, Isaiah, on dealing with Isaiah 53, talked about how that we have in our zeal to make Jesus more attractive, we've cast a shadow over him. Only the Holy Spirit can make him attractive. If Jesus Christ is not attractive to you, and the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, is going to exalt Jesus Christ, is going to exalt his work at Calvary, and leave you and I saying like the Apostle Paul, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives. So if this is not in our hearts, in our minds, the Holy Spirit is either a stranger to us or we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the crucified, risen, reigning, interceding, coming again, Savior, is the attraction. And him living his life in and through us and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit reveals Christ and is the attraction. And that's what being church, what, what church is all about. Well, it brought persecution to the Apostle Paul and others and through the centuries to many others and even to this day. And so... We are a little bit afraid of it. But we have to believe, and we're coming to the Lord's table this morning. Are we coming just because it's on the agenda? Or am I coming because, Lord Jesus, you went to Calvary for me. Jesus is exalted in my heart and my mind because I've gone to the Word of God and the Spirit of God has quickened this to me. This is the most precious thing that has ever happened to me. My eyes were open to my sin. I ceased trying to get to heaven some other way. I saw that I was under the wrath of God and needed a Savior. And I cried out in mercy for God's saving grace. 
the crucified one is the one I want to exalt. This is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.23 said, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews an offense, to the Greeks a folly, to them which are the called, both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In the second Corinthians, or in chapter 2 of First Corinthians, I determine not to know anything among you. He's writing to the church at Corinth. I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You say, well, didn't Jesus... Didn't Paul believe in the resurrection? Of course he did. 1 Corinthians 15 is a powerful, wonderful, awesome chapter about the resurrection. And without it, we have no hope. But without the cross, we have no resurrection. Jesus Christ. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. Not every single man, but men of every, without distinction, Jew, Gentile. This is not teaching universalism, but it's teaching that the gospel goes around the world. There will be people out of every kinder, tongue, tribe, and people in the kingdom. So we preach Christ crucified, I repeat it, to the Jews an offense, to the Greeks a folly, but to them which are the call, both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. How can you know if you have experienced God's saving grace, that you are one who's been the recipient of the gracious call of God, you do something you've never done before. <laughs> you start praising and worshiping Jesus Christ. Think of Saul of Tarsus. That was not on his agenda. He was on an agenda to beat up on some more Christians. And when God broke in on his life, you say, well, if God would knock me off a horse with lightning all that, I might get saved too. God doesn't save everybody that way. Lydia just says, and God opened her heart. So you may have had a dramatic conversion like Saul of Tarsus or something sane. Or, but both were, were invasive, transforming. Uh, she got involved in kingdom business and the Apostle Paul had a radical transformation to where now, Jesus was the attraction of his life, so much so that he was willing to be very bold, regardless of what it meant as to persecution. And so he would say, God forbid that I should glory. God forbid that I should glory or boast in anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, it's a reminder. What, what does Jesus do when he comes into your heart and mind? 
we experience crucifixion to the world. The world has less power, less attraction. We become less attractive to the world. Because we have priorities, we have goals, we have loves that they don't have. They don't understand it. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ shouts, this table today shouts that wonderful truth of propitiation. The wrath of God is satisfied. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. And so we preach crucified, a crucified risen Christ. Preach it to yourself. Yeah, this is the gospel we are to preach to a lost world. This is the gospel that we are to preach to encourage a believer. But this is the gospel we need to preach to ourselves over and over again. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful is the message of the crucified, risen Christ. Whether you're reading about it from the Old Testament or the New, or whether you're in eternity and you find out as you fan through the pages of the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, which opens the curtains, and you see inside the activity and the focus of heaven over and over and over again, you know this, Jesus is seen as the Lamb, the Lamb of God. In heaven, there's no, there's no focus, there, there's no need. Everybody's excited, everybody's singing praises to the Lamb. To the Father, to the Lamb, for this glorious salvation. Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we come to the Lord's table, the Lord may want us to think about this. Those moments on the cross when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, man tries to create something. Man tries to pump something up. And so man creates a film called The Passion of Christ, and they make it very gory and repulsive and, and, and blood and guts everywhere. And, and that's supposed to impress us with what Jesus did at Calvary. That's man's way. God's way is set forth in the Scripture with the appropriate amount of the horror of crucifixion on a cross or death on a cross but with the most important thing which no film could ever show that the most significant thing at Calvary was not the physical suffering but that on that cross he took upon himself our sin and the father poured out the wrath on the son that we deserved and that's what we celebrate. That's why this is the chief service of the, of the Christian church, the Lord's table.
This is the thing above everything else we must not forget, that we must not minimize. Uh, I'm not looking for something to excite me, to attract me. I, I, don't, I don't need a, a Christian comedian. I don't need uh, a famous group of singers. I don't need a most famous pastor or evangelist and, and be drawn by his or her charisma. Uh, and in our culture, we have to say, or her, because in many places, they are that. Anything but going by the word of God. So I don't need any of that. I've been given his sacred word, and this sacred word opens the windows of heaven and says, this whole book is about me. Jesus is not being egotistical. He's God. And this book is about him. The word of God is about the God of the word, the God of the universe. And the focal point of the whole Bible, once Adam and Eve sinned, is the story of redemption. And we celebrate that here this morning. If you're here this morning and you have never come to faith in Christ, know this. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by him. What a gracious way. Or a world of undeserving sinners. If you've never come to him, flee to him. Allow the word of God and the spirit of God to bring home this simple scripture. This profound scripture. The scriptures will lift him up. Yes, this is talking about him dying and being raised up from the grave. And that's, that's the central theme of the whole book. But we're also talking about being lifted up in your mind and heart to the, to the supreme position. You're not looking for entertainment. You're not looking for excitement. You're looking at the Lamb of God, and you're left worshiping. You're left praising him. You're left being motivated. You're left freshly empowered to say no to sin and yes to Jesus every time. Our Father, we bless you and praise you for the wonders of your love and the wonders of Jesus Christ who came and laid all of his glory aside and humbled himself all the way to the cross. We come to the table this morning. Not because we're worthy, but because at the cross there's a place for the broken-hearted sinner, the repentant sinner, the one who's been quickened by the Spirit of God. I'm a sinner. What must I do?
repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I failed the Lord this week. What must I do? Flee to Christ. Revel in, rejoice in the blood of Jesus that goes on cleansing us from all sin. Reveling in the reality that there is now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Have your own way in each of our hearts. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.